This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to another episode of Dere Tells All. As always, I am so happy to have you here today. I'm not going to drag out the intro this week because the next episode coming out after this one is going to be a solo episode, so we'll be able to catch up then. Um, Today, I really want to go ahead and just dive into the topic of this episode and to uh, my guest, but before I do so, I want to make sure that I give you a trigger warning. Um, This episode, we are going to be talking about sexual abuse and child abuse. Um, So I just want to make sure I want to put that out there. Heads up. This is a topic that I've been wanting to talk about. And you guys have requested this topic as well. But I'm glad that we're finally starting that conversation. I use the word starting because I hope it's something that we can continue to talk about not just to break the stigma, but also to help others heal and to help others identify the warning signs. According to the CDC, about 1 in 4 girls and 1 in 13 boys experience child sexual abuse at some point in their childhood. 91% of child sexual abuse is perpetrated by someone the child or family already knows, um, like a, a relative or a family friend. Child sexual abuse can lead to both short-term and long-term consequences, such as depression, PTSD, substance abuse, suicidal thoughts, and it can also lead to an increase in risk of re-victimization and domestic abuse in adulthood. I know it can be difficult to have conversations about traumas such as these, but it's important that we share our stories to help others. And it is also our responsibility as adults to ensure that the children around us have safe, stable, nurturing relationships and environments. For more resources, please visit the National Center for Victims of Crime. Or if you know of a child who needs immediate help, please contact your local authorities. All right, guys, today's guest is a wife, a mama, and a self-love advocate. She's known as Lively Liz on Instagram. It's Liz Rainey. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. So for my listeners who don't know who you are, kind of go ahead and give us a little, a little introduction to who you are, what you do, what's your passion, all that good stuff. All right. So um, 
many changes over the last um, three years. So I've been on my current journey for three years now, which is a whole new season, but I'll get into that in just a second. Um, so I started out, um, I just had my last, so my youngest child, and I realized I, I had t- taken maternity leave and I realized that I couldn't play with my boys like I wanted to. Um, And that just hit me like hard in my heart because I had a whole summer with them and I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do with them. I wasn't the mom that could get up and run and play with them. I was hurting. Um, I was, you know, I was overweight at the time. I put on 50 pounds with him, but I was already overweight during my pregnancy. So it really took a toll on my body. And I decided I wanted to make a change. Um, That's where my page came about. It was all about accountability. And I had absolutely no idea at all what I was doing, but I stuck with it. And it really just blossomed into this beautiful thing that it is now. Um, But through trial and error, um, I have lost, I lost a hundred pounds and I did it really all wrong in the beginning found out what I was doing was wrong. Honestly, when like the shutdown happened last year, that woke me up. My gym shut down. I cried like a baby, couldn't go to the stores like I was. And I realized that I was overworking my body and I was really under eating too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it woke me up to realizing like I needed to care for my body better and I needed to find ways to move that wasn't just like abuse on my body. So that's where my body positivity and self-love came. It actually built up out of that tragic season that we were going through. Um, And it just really turned into such a beautiful part of my journey because I have found so much love for my body um, and so much appreciation for my body and and been able to share that with women of all different shapes and sizes to, to just like let them know that it's okay to love your journey where you're at and love your body where you're at and every every part of you where you're at because it's super important that we do so. Um, currently in my journey, I am eight months pregnant, so I have put on some weight and I feel like if I hadn't have had that realization that my body does so much for me and that my body deserves love, then I probably wouldn't be so confident and comfortable in my pregnancy right now um, because I feel like I would be worried, still stuck on a number um, and focused on the scale, which is what I was in the beginning. So focused on, I was, you know, seeking a smaller number. um, And I thought that my worth was in the size of my pants and a number on the scale. And what I found was that if you truly love and care for your body, um, and everything that it does for you, it's not about being a size or a number. It's about how you feel and doing things that make you feel better and, and doing it with love. Like I always tell my followers and my friends is that anything that you want to do, or doesn't matter what journey you're on, make sure you're doing it for you and that you're doing it with love in your heart, because if your heart isn't in it, then I don't think that anyone will truly stick with their journey. Mm-hmm. So that's really important for me. Um, and like I said, in the season that I'm in right now, we've taken a shift. So we've gone from, you know, weight loss and then body positivity, self-love advocate and showing where I was probably my leanest and strongest I had ever been before I got pregnant to being told 
um, you know, you have to go on rest because um, I've had two miscarriages. So I was put on rest for 12 weeks and then let on a lightweight. And then I was put on rest again because we've had some issues. So it's, it's just about just appreciating my body. And that's what I, like my main message is, is just love and appreciate your body through any journey. Yes, my body's changing right now, but it's also doing something incredibly amazing. And I am very, very thankful for that. Yeah, no, totally. I think, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, but we go through seasons of life and, you know, you had your weight loss, you had your, your maintenance, and now you have this like season of life where you're creating more life. And, um, I mean, I haven't been pregnant since I lost my weight, but I can only imagine like how much different my, if I ever were to get pregnant again, how, how it would differ. Um, so how does, this pregnancy differ from your past pregnancies? Cause you said that the last one you were already overweight and then you put on more weight with the pregnancy. Um, but this one, I imagine your mentality is a little bit different. Can you kind of like go into that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is definitely, it's so different. Um, for sure. Uh, as far as like mindset goes, I, I, I live the stagnant lifestyle until I begin moving my body um, and loving my body and started this journey that I've been on for the last three years. But before, before that, when people would ask me to work out with them or go on a walk with them, I would literally laugh and <laughs> say, that's not for me. Um, before I got pregnant with my first son, um, so seven years ago, um, I actually was struggling with a eating disorder. And so that took a big toll on my body because I was doing like a low carb diet, but essentially I wasn't, I was not eating enough at all. Um, and if I did overeat, then I was purging everything that I ate. Um, so it was, a I had had a lower weight at the time with my first son, but when I found out I was pregnant and went to my first appointment, my doctor said, so you know, how's your diet? Well, I mm -hmm. told them and they were like, yeah, you can't do that. Um, so I put on 70 pounds with him, um, which uh, I, I, I obviously expected that with the way the lifestyle I was living beforehand. Um, but I still never moved my body. And then when I got pregnant with my second, um, I was already overweight at that point. I had carried the weight from my first, it was four. I mean, he was four years old at the time but I never really lost that weight, um, mm -hmm. that I gained with him. And then I just put more on with my second. So this one is totally different for me because of my mindset and the things that I've learned along my journey. Um, so I, I have been on rest, which has been a struggle for me mentally. I have, honestly, that's probably one of the biggest struggles that I've had because I have looked to movement to heal a lot of emotions and just let everything out. Like it's, it's been really a lifesaver for the last couple of years. Um, so to be told I cannot move is kind of bittersweet. Like, yes, I will do anything to protect my baby, but at the same time, like it is such an important part of my life at this, you know, to do, to move. Mm -hmm. Um, but my mindset is still so much healthier today. Um, and I haven't put on as much weight as I did with the boys, I, I know that I won't end up putting on as much weight by the end of it. Cause we're almost, we're almost there and, uh, we've done really well, but it's just moving my body when I can walking, if I can, and, and the, my diet, my nutrition, 
has been Mm -hmm. the key factor for me to keep me on track because it is super important that I fuel my body properly while I'm pregnant. And that is something that was not my mentality with my first two. It was, well, you're pregnant, so you can have whatever you want. Well, that's why I put on so much weight with my boys. Um, So kind of keeping an eye on that, making sure I'm still taking like my proper supplements and everything, but really just focusing in on what I can do and the things that I can control. Mm -hmm. And the biggest part of that has, or the, the biggest thing that I can control during this is my obviously my diet. So getting movement in when I can, when I'm allowed and just really just appreciating my body for what it's doing. Yeah. You know, people often forget that diet is way more important. Like it affects you way more um, than the movement. That's why people always say like, you can't out train a bad diet because you can eat like garbage, but like there's no amount of training that's going to undo what you're eating. So really yep. we should focus on that eating, which it sounds like you're, you're right on track and yep. you're doing everything to have a healthy pregnancy. So I do commend you for that. You do it in December, correct? Yes. Awesome. Yep. And she's, she's already a big baby. So <laughs> um, you have two boys, so this is going to be your, your first girl. Yep. Yep. Nope. Okay. Nope. You're right. <laughs> I have two boys and then my husband has a little boy. So we've got three boys at home and this will be our first little girl. Oh, are the boys excited to have a sister? They are very, yes, they're very excited. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see pictures when you finally, when she's finally here, when you deliver. Um, but not to be a, a Debbie Downer here, but I do want to pivot um, on the topic here. I just kind of, I wanted my my audience to get to know you before we dive yeah. into the deeper stuff. Um, cause there's a reason why I wanted you to be the guest today. Um, and a while back you had posted a reel on Instagram where you talked about being a sexual assault survivor. Um, and I've, I've always wanted to touch on that topic because I know that there are other women who can connect or who are still in the process of healing. And I, 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 I wanted you to come on here and just kind of share that part that of your story. And then, I don't know, let's just, you know, talk it through. This is not a topic that I, not that I'm not comfortable talking about it. I just don't, I, I haven't experienced it and I don't want to talk about it to my audience without actually fully understanding it. So I, I figured you can come on here and just kind of help us through that in case any other people too have friends or relatives or anyone who has experienced something similar. Yeah. Uh, so the floor is yours. <laughs> All right. Um, and, and honestly, I, I think it was suppressed emotions for several, several, several years until my grandpa passed away recently. Um, and I knew that I couldn't go to support my mom because I knew my abuser was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brought up just a whole just world of emotions and things that I had suppressed for so long, um, which is why I began to talk about it because I realized that I had suppressed that I had pushed that down. And I don't feel like we as survivors or those of us that go through this should have to hide, should have to suppress those emotions and should have to suppress those feelings 
because it's it's not it's not fair um having to go through that um my story is i was um i was sexually assaulted by an uncle um he was married in and i was absolutely um best friends with my aunt loved her loved being with her um but when i as i started to get older, I realized that something wasn't right. Um, so in particular, like things that I remember is, uh, I was always, if I was at their house, um, he would give me NyQuil before bed. I was always sick. And these are things that I just remembered now, but, um, I was just always sick and I had to have NyQuil, which obviously now I, I know why. Um, when I was six years old, I had went to the doctor and I was having a lot of UTI problems and a lot of bladder problems. And they thought that perhaps I was allergic to caffeine or something. Um, They cut out all caffeines. I wasn't allowed to have any dark drinks um, and I wasn't allowed to have any like chocolates or anything like that, which now today I know why that happened. I know what was happening. Um, but it started at a very, very young age. As I got older, I started to one, not be asleep while this was happening to me. Um, or two, like wake up and know what was going on, going on or know why I felt the way that I felt the next day. Um, but I have kind of just a, um, semi messed up childhood before I moved in with my parents, um, or with my, my mom and dad, um, just kind of a, whoever would kind of watch me, that's where we would go. And I felt like it always happened to be him. He always, um, wanted us, you know, he always brought toys every time that they came around. Um, there was all kinds of goodies and we were treated so well in front of people, but behind the closed doors, it wasn't this, that like that. Um, and I never talked about it. I I never told anyone. I couldn't tell my aunt. Um, as I grew older, he realized that I was awake. He realized that I kind of knew what was going on. Um, one night in particular that I I have nightmares about because it was the most vivid night that I remember. Um, The things that he did to me, he knew that I was awake um, and he was almost caught. And it was almost, I don't know if it was just more like exhilarating for him, if it felt better that he was almost caught doing what he was doing to me. Um, But I just remember crying, laying there crying. And he knew I was awake at that point. And that's when he, I think I was about six years old at that point. Um, and that is when he told me, you can't tell anyone this or this about this. He said, you can't tell anyone about this because if you do, you'll never see your family again. So as a child, that was the scariest thing to hear that I might not ever get to see my family again. So just let whatever goes on goes on because my it was mostly directed towards my dad him and my dad did not get along um and uh 
my dad, I actually moved in with my dad when I was eight, which is when this mostly ceased until I was about 13. Um, but that night in particular was the most vivid for me, um, the things that he made me do and the things that he did. And then the fact that he knew that I was awake from then on, um, there were moments where he would take me to the bedroom and take photographs of me and other things. Um, the last time I saw him was when I was 13 years old and my mom had taken me up to see her sister, my aunt, and I didn't want to go because I was old enough. And she said, you know, I didn't say why I didn't want to go. Um, which is mainly the reason that I have shared this is because for so long, I knew this, I knew what was going on. I let this stuff happen because I thought that I had to, as a child, I felt like I couldn't lose my family one, but two, he told me that, you know, things were going to happen. Um, and just to kind of let things go. So I had, and I, when I was 13, we went there and I remember going to my aunt's kitchen and grabbing a knife and putting it in the back of my pants for if he did anything that night, because I swore that I was going to kill him or hurt him. Um, cause I didn't want him to touch me. And when he walked in the door, I immediately woke up and he did come down next to me. Um, and he had just started to put his hands on me and my aunt had came out of the bedroom and called him back to the bedroom. And I don't know if she knew what was going on. Um, still to this day, she doesn't believe it. Or the last time that we spoke, she said she doesn't. Um, and it was just a lot, um, of when it did come out, I actually was not the one that it came out. It was after that incident when I was 13, that a, another victim had came out about it. And my dad, um, came in to ask me if that had happened to me. And I told, just immediately started crying. And my dad got upset and asked him why I didn't tell him. And I said, I didn't want to lose you. And we started the whole process from there of trying to get him to go to prison for this um, or to be held accountable for this. And he went to court and they actually said that we were lying, um, that we made up the story. And he is now still a free man. <laughs> he is not registered or anything. And this is then probably the main reason that I do share what I share because it is not right that so many abusers get away with what they've done. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's our word against his. And I, I just don't understand why they didn't believe us. Um, and it was really hard. I had the bladder infections which is a telltale sign of sexual assault in the child. Um, I and the other victims had similar stories um, of instances and things that were being done to us where we were given NyQuil to pass out or to stay asleep at night um, or where we were constantly sick. So Vicks had to be rubbed on our chests or just different things that were happening to us and that were 
we were experiencing. Um, and he, he walked away a free man. Um, and it makes me sick, uh, that he is still out there, but I just don't know other than sharing my voice and trying to get other survivors and other victims to maybe come and talk out about their situations so that we can make this more normal so that there are less victims in this world that are just silenced because people don't believe it. It's just something that's taboo and people don't generally talk about it. They don't feel like you should talk about it if it happens. And I felt like that for the longest time until those suppressed emotions really made me realize that I am really doing myself an injustice by, you know, by keeping silent and by not sharing my story, because there are people out there that could potentially share their story today and hopefully get these terrible people off of the streets. Yeah. So was there just not enough evidence to like, I guess, hold them accountable? Is that why there was no consequence? Yeah, essentially it was what had came out was, um, we told our story, um, and someone, I'm not exactly sure, but there was a specific date. I didn't know the dates. I was incredibly young and the other victim, I mean, I was 13 when we came, when it came out, but like the last time I was abused was probably eight years old before I moved in with my dad. Um, and my sister, um, had, had the same things going on with her. Um, and then another victim and we all kind of told our stories and somehow there was a date that had came out, which out of which she had an alibi. So they put their whole case on that one date, not of the years of abuse that we shared our stories about. Um, I know we were young, but I just felt like we were in a very small town and it just wasn't taken seriously. Um, and I, 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 I loathe that, um, because I feel like they took one little piece or one little thing that a child said and, and turned it. Um, but that was essentially why, because there was a date that he had an alibi for not the many years of abuse, but the one specific date they took. Yeah. And I assume your aunt stayed with him throughout all of this. Yes, she did. Um, and she did not believe us. I, uh, the last time that I spoke with her, she said many harsh words to me, um, and blamed me for doing whatever, um, even though I was a child and just stated that I was lying. I have not seen them since I was 13 years old. Um, my, my dad did get, you know, restraining order. My dad did everything that he could do. Um, we got restraining orders. He wasn't allowed to enter our town because I'm from a very small town anyways, but, um, she, uh, she didn't have very nice things to say to me. Um, and I feel like there was a lot of that side of the family, maybe that didn't believe us. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, I think at the time what the 
what they use or he, they used against us too, is that I, I had shared that my dad and him did not get along. So they really pushed uh, on the, pushed on the fact that, um, maybe like we made family it, like he, dysfunction. He family. made it up. Yeah. Um, because he had had spouts with my dad on my dad tried to pick me up one night and he wouldn't let me go with my dad. Um, so there had been many spouts and like just different things that had happened and they kind of played that card like as we made it up. Um, which I mean, I know for a fact in my taping, like I cried the entire time. It was real and raw emotion. It's hard to talk about. And especially at 13, it was hard to tell someone all of the things that happened to me. Um, but that is kind of where that went. Um, you mentioned the real earlier, I had shared that on there just to tell a little bit of that story. And I have more of my story kind of coming out. Um, and this obviously will be a big part of sharing that, um, story. But one thing that I realized is that there are so many of us out there that lived through this that have had these, the same things happen. And so many of us are not, you know, being taken seriously. Um, we're not being listened to. And that is just one of those things that I just don't understand because a child cannot put their self out there. There's no will. A child does not know, you know, and I, it's just really one of those hard, hard things that I've kind of had to live with. Yeah. Did, did you ever get like, like, I know your dad did his best to protect you and get the restraining order, but after all of that, did you get any type of help like counseling or anything like that? Um, so I did for a little bit. Um, and then the other victims they did as well. I did not, from where I was at, I was, you know, in middle school, I had been living with my dad. Um, so I did, I did see a counselor for a little bit. I really just wanted it to be done. He, I felt like he got away with it. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, so I just, I, I didn't want to go to the counselor anymore because it was constantly bringing it up and it was just something that I wanted to suppress, which is what I did. And as a child, I wish that I would have probably stuck with that. My parents, you know, they didn't want to push me into something that I felt uncomfortable doing. Mm -hmm. So they just let me do what I felt was right. And we went from there. Um, I, I talked to my mom. I felt really comfortable talking to my mom about it because she had had similar abuse when she was a child. So I confided in her a lot after it was out. Um, but before that, I felt like I couldn't tell her and my dad because I thought, what will people think? Um, is he going to make that? Like, are they, is my dad going to go away? What's, what's going to happen? Like, I didn't want to lose my family. And even at 13, I thought I, I can't lose the people that I look up to most. And I don't know what my dad will do if he ever finds out, um, and that was really, that was really hard for me. Um, after it was out, like I said, I confided in my mom a lot, um, but I did not stick myself with um, counseling. I wanted it to just kind of be, I just wanted to be a normal, a normal child. 
I just wanted to pretend like none of that had happened, um, which I wish that I probably, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't public that I went to the counselor and talked to her about what I talked about. And it probably would have been fine for me to continue that. I was just so uncomfortable as a 13 year old continuing the conversation about the abuse that had happened to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I can understand, you know, when you're 13, you, you're not mature enough to fully process the trauma that's going on and, and how to deal with that trauma. Um, so I think, you know, you did what you felt you needed to do as your 13 year old self. And, you know, every parent wants to do what's best for their kids, but in a situation like this, it's, it's difficult to know what the right thing is, but I'm glad that you were able to confide in your mom because there are, you know, there are victims who do confide in their parents and whose parents are not supportive or who don't listen or who victim blame. (laughs) Did uh, your aunt and your uncle ever have children that could have also been victims? They did. They had two children and they were, they were given boys. And I think and say all of the time that there is a reason that they have boys and not little girls. Um, I don't believe that he abused his children um, because I did see them at one point, um, and the only words that they said to me was that I lied about their father. I was a fool. Um, I didn't see them often. It was just one instance, but they were filled with anger over me. They didn't want to see me. And I don't think because of their anger for me, I really hope that they didn't have to live through that, um, with that being their father. Right. Or even worse yet that they took up after their father and that they're continuing that cycle. Um, Yes. And that's something that scares me equally, um, as well. And they, you know, they were the first people to ever like take me to church to ever do the, so their, their appearance, which is another thing that, you know, the, the jury took into account, their appearance was that they were good people. Um, and sometimes people really hide behind some dark demons behind their appearance. Um, everything's not always what it's made out to be. Oh yeah. A lot of, a lot of these people, you know, they put on this facade as a way to protect themselves. And it sounds like that's exactly what your abuser did. Yes. Um, that's very unfortunate that, that, that they, that the court didn't believe you and that he wasn't held accountable. Um, as a parent now, now that you're a parent, um, and I know you have boys, but now you're about to have a daughter. Um, I guess I kind of want to, what I'm getting at is what are some signs that parents can look for to know if maybe perhaps this is something that's happening to their own child and they're just too afraid to speak out. You mentioned the, like the UTIs earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. What are some other things that parents can look out for? What are some other signs? I think in something, because this has happened to me, um, I've always been very forward and upfront with any partner that I've had that occasionally there will be certain things that um, kind of bring up trauma. Um, But something I've also been very, very clear to my children about is that you don't allow that. And if that happens that you have to talk to me about it, don't feel like you couldn't talk to me about it. You could talk to me about anything. Um, my youngest boys right now, they're, 
you know, they're so young and so little, they don't know properly how to process, but we do use proper names for things. Um, so that they know, like, you can't do that. You know, you don't, no one touches that. And my older son, we have had, we've had conversations about it. Like if he's going to stay somewhere, I always tell him, okay, so here's kind of the rundown of things. If any of this happens, you need to leave. You need to scream. You need to let me know. Um, the biggest things that I remember as a child, um, and things that I like will look out for, um, is an individual being overly nice one to a daughter and maybe not the brother. Um, or even if it's the flip case being nice to one child and treating one child and maybe not treating the other child because I was flooded with gifts. I was, I was constantly gifted and just talked about and applauded. Um, and also, uh, UTIs was a big thing for me, um, as well, but he always wanted just me, um, until I had moved in with my dad and he moved on to his next victim, but he'd always ask for just me. He wouldn't watch my brothers. I come from a bigger family, um, and didn't want my brothers or younger sisters at the time. It was just me. And his focus was solely on, uh, me and almost, um, like touching me just like shoulder touching or constantly wanting to carry me. Um, which I feel like this happened a lot and had anyone maybe thought into it, it might've been something like, that's definitely something that I watch for in my children, my boys right now. And when I have my daughter, I will for sure watch how an individual touches my daughter, holds her. And if there's just more than appropriate touching going on. Um, even in front, like in front of my mom and, uh, stepdad, he would always, he would have me come and sit on the couch next to him or sit on his lap. Um, these were things that should have been noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we're just, it's just innocent. Everyone just, I'm just, just innocent. You know, she's just, Oh, he really likes you. He just really, you, you're always over there. Um, but those are things that I definitely look for if I feel like um, my son has played sports, my oldest. And if I feel like anyone has just even kind of touched him inappropriately in any sort of way, I kind of go over there and I'm like, what's going on? Like that pat was a little bit like a rub. Like it's just not, I just, I watch for those things. Um, and like you said, I did have, uh, I had severe bladder problems, um, uh, UTIs and discomfort and all of that. And, um, that was the big one for me, uh, along with the just treating and touching and the behavior around the one individual, um, or the same sex individuals in a family. Yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you know, using the proper names for genitalia. And that's, that's something that I come across a lot just within my own research. Um, I always like to, when I talk to victims or I'm sorry, not victim survivors, um, I ask that. And one of the things that I always read is, you know, talk to your children about the proper names for, for the genitalia so that it's uh, more comfortable to talk about things like that. 
versus, yeah. you know, getting it, like cute little names. And then yeah. children don't fully understand what it is that's going on. And plus when you're, when you're in trauma like that, sometimes your brain totally makes you forget about it as a way, as a coping mechanism, as a survival mm-hmm. mechanism. Which well, like, you- I, like I had said, I know for a fact that this started at a young age, but it wasn't until later that I realized that because I had suppressed mm-hmm. at such a young age. And then memories started to come back of being this age or this kind of thing. Um, another victim that was there with me was like, well, don't you remember this time? And I'm like, I, I forgot. Like I had suppressed that because I was so young. Yeah. And I think that people often forget that, like, you know, they want to victim shame and victim blame and say, well, like if that really happened to you, how could you possibly forget it? But they don't realize that that's literally what your brain does to protect you. It will block it out of your memory. I like I said, to protect you. So it's not that you're lying or that you're making it up. It's that you just honestly don't remember. And this is not just like sexual assault and sexual abuse. This is, this can be any kind of trauma. It could even be, you know, like in a car accident and you forget like the car accident actually happening as a way to protect yourself. So I think, you know, people need to not be so judgmental when others say like, I I honestly don't remember because it's very well true that they honestly just don't remember. Um, So the reason you said that it, it all kind of recently, at least it came flooding back um, is because you thought that you might have to see, or you might have to face your abuser again. Um, I'm assuming that didn't happen. You didn't have to face him. So I actually, um, I did not go. I, I asked if he was going to be there. He was, um, my mom said, can you please come and maybe just stay for a couple hours? And I could not. Um, and then after I didn't go, I felt extremely guilty, one, that I didn't show up for my mom, but two, that I allowed him to still have control over me, even though I'm 27 years old um, and haven't seen him in 14 years. And that really affected, like, it just kind of brought everything back. The fact that I still allowed him to have some sort of something over me um, really, I, it, I don't know how to explain the feelings that it brought up um, other than I. I just was very, very disappointed and upset about the situation um, because it should I should have been able to go there and kind of face my demons, but I felt that I couldn't. Yeah, and I mean, and there's nothing wrong with you not being ready for that. Um, so is this part of the reason why you now chose to kind of speak out about it and, and share it? Cause you have, you have a pretty big platform. You have over 100,000 followers and you know, you sharing this story is not something that, you know, a couple of people are going to see, or like just your friends are going to hear about, like you are putting this out there, out there. And, and one that's f- fucking brave uh, to do um, to like, honestly, that, that is such a power move, I think. And and it's going to be part of your healing process. Is that what your mentality was essentially sharing your story? It was because I felt those emotions from not being able to go to go. And I felt the control 
um, even though I'd been so many years. And the only thing that I could think to kind of combat that was I needed to speak out because honestly, it's, it feels good for me to speak out, but when others share their story with me, it's just as fulfilling. Um, and it makes me realize like I'm breaking a stigma. We are sharing our voice and this is how we, you know, we break those misconceptions and we hopefully bring light to things that are going on. Um, so it was actually therapeutic for me to have, you know, uh, several people message me and say, I'm going you know, I went through the same thing or I have family that's went through the same thing. And for me to be able to talk to other people about their trauma and about mine, um, and the abuse that we had lived through. And it really was, it was really beneficial. Um, as far as, like you said, is in the healing process, because I was able to, I have been silenced for so long since I was 13 because I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to know. I, I hated telling any, you know, like my husband, I would tell people that I was serious with and I hated having to tell them, Hey, this happened to me. Um, so there's, you know, sometimes things come up and, and I just don't feel right. Or, um, it still affects me today and being able to tell, you know, like you said, a a big group of people, um, that it's okay to talk about that um, was very healing for me. And I have so much more. And that is why I'm doing this. Um, because I do think it's important that we do talk about it because suppressed emotion is not a good thing. Um, and I just didn't want to keep that kind of feeling that I was being controlled, um, and silenced anymore. Yeah, I always say there's so much power in sharing your story because we're never alone in our experiences. There's always going to be someone who can connect with our experience or or any of the trauma that we've been through. And although you're doing this to heal yourself, I think you're also helping others heal through their experience and just it kind of gives them the the power and the the to be able to share their voice and to the voice, yes. be able to talk about it. Yeah. And and like I said, that's why I wanted you to be on here. Um my thing is I, I want to help others amplify their voice, whatever the message is. Um, and I, I knew that, that this is something that we needed to discuss. Like you said, to break the stigma, to be able to talk about it, to be able to help others heal, to help you heal. Um, so I'm proud of you and I'm happy that you, that you said yes. When I asked you to come on, um, you touched on, you know, talking to your husband about this. And I did want to talk about that just how that affected you later on in life when you started dating when like in your marriage did it did it play a factor in that or was it still kind of suppressed to the point where it didn't really play a major role how was that um i think it definitely played a factor um when the whole you know being mature enough to well when sex started to come up Um, I started to realize and remember, um, when certain things were done, there are incidents, um, or like if I was sleeping or, and someone wanted to try something, um, it was not, that was something that would immediately bring up that trauma because I was often woke up as a child to things happening to me. Um, 
So there have been, you know, incidents from teenage years um, that I probably didn't tell, you know, a boyfriend or something, but I did want to be forward, like with my husband or any serious relationship that I had about what happened to me and kind of setting boundaries to make sure that if the traumas or if, you know, if that line is crossed and if that trauma is brought up just to know that like, don't take it to heart, but you have to understand like, this is kind of what's happened to me. Um, and why these things are brought up. Um, there are certain things that have happened, um, that will trigger me. Um, obviously my, that funeral and going was very triggering for me. Um, it was, and then probably about a year ago, my aunt had tried to add me on Facebook, which was extremely triggering for me because I mean, I I know, but, um, it was very triggering for me because I hadn't seen him for so long. So it's something that I just, you try not to think about. Um, and it just kind of brought that up. And my husband is very, very good at listening. Um, he has amazing ears (laughs) and if I've ever had to really express like certain memories or certain dreams or something has brought up the trauma, he will sit and listen to me. And it has been really nice to have him to, to do that for me, um, during this. And, but yeah, it, it has definitely came up in my teenage years in my adult life, um, in my marriage now, um, especially having children, having three little boys. And I feel like it's been especially triggering since we found out that we're having a little girl because like, it makes me panic. Like it's very, very important that I have the conversation with my boys. It does happen to little boys, but for me, I know the feeling as a little girl and believing what you're told and just being a little child. So that's why it's just very important that my boys know what's right, what's not right. And that they can always come to us. No lines are crossed and that they need to be very open and my daughter will have the same boundaries. Yeah. I think that's the key word there. The word boundaries, you know, like expressing to your children what the boundaries are and that they need to communicate when those boundaries are broken. But then also for you, like when you, you know, talk to your partners, partner, partner's husband um, about what your boundaries are and then being able to listen to what you have to say, but then also respecting those boundaries. Um, Yes. So yeah, that's, I think that's the key word there. Um, if you could tell other survivors anything, is there, what would you want to tell them? I think the biggest thing is that you shouldn't have to feel like you cannot share your story. You cannot share, um, or that you have to suppress and stay silent because like I said, for so long, I did feel like I had to do that. Um, especially on such a platform I wanted to share this before and I would stop because I'm was so worried of what people might think of me. Um, because there are a lot of stigmas around this type of thing, um, and misconceptions around this type of thing. And I think the main thing that I would want to tell an individual that has lived through this is that it's okay to tell your story. It's okay to talk about it because it's healing for you. And it will be healing for probably the individual that you're talking to. Because like I said, I felt like 
I was kind of alone in this. Um, that is not normal. People don't talk about that. Why would you share it on such a big platform? But I had thousands of women message me over the topic. And like you said, it was healing for me and it was pro- and it was healing for them as well. And it it is a really good part of the process to get it out, to not so keep it suppressed inside, to be able to share your voice and not feel like you have to remain silent. Yeah, no, I agree. Did you get any backlash from your family when you started sharing this so publicly? Um, so no, I didn't. Um, the side of the family that they are on, I don't think even knows, or if they do know about my page, maybe they just don't say anything about it. Um, but my, my mom has always been very supportive, um, about it. And like I said, you know, she had a similar instance as a child and I, I, I wish she would share more about her journey in her life. Um, but she really kind of gave me, she's, you know, my biggest reason for my voice and why, where I'm at today, because she's a strong individual who has stood her ground her entire life. And she's really just someone that I look up to. So she, you know, said is if you feel that it's right, then, and you're going to help, you know, help people then, then help people. So, yeah, you know, I'm very big on ending generational traumas and me being uh, Hispanic, being Latina, you know, we have our own share of just cultural generational traumas, but there are other kinds of cultural generational traumas like assault. And, you know, you said it happened to your mom and then it happened to you. And I think you talking about it is healing, but you're also, you know, ending that cycle so that it doesn't continue, you know, onto your, your daughter or to your kids or nieces, nephews, or whoever, friends, kids, um, you know, you're, you're doing your share to end that generational trauma. So I do commend you for that. I mean, that's something that I'm super, super passionate about just talking about that Um, because they're, they are, they're taboo. People don't want to talk about these things. They're, they're too heavy or they're too dark or people just don't feel comfortable talking about them. And it really does take uh, a very empowering person to say, no, I will not keep quiet. (laughs) Hear me roar. Um, So yeah. Yes. Um, well, we are towards the end of the episode. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share before we end? Um, I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk on here. I did get a lot out and I hope that there is a lot of takeaways from this. Um, so I really thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Um, why don't you tell my listeners where they can find you and how they can follow along and just support you? All right. So, um, biggest platform will be on Instagram and the handle is at lively.liz. And I also have a Facebook page. It is Liz Rainey and you should be able to find it under lively.liz as well. Awesome. And I'll make sure that I add all of those links in the episode description so that it's easy for you to find Liz. But once again, Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing your story and sharing your voice um, and helping others heal. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much.